Well, you should see here on the, uh, the, the screen here, a brother in Christ. His name's Dr. Kent Brantley. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is one of, he was one of the time person of the year for 2014. Virus fighters, and, and his picture was just one of a couple that were up on the cover of Time for 2014. And, and God called Dr. Brantley, who, by the way, is is my age. I believe he is exactly my age, 38, to to be a medical missionary. And he started in 2003 working towards this. And in 2008, he met his wife Amber, and they both had a desire for medical. Missions. They were married, and they eventually they and then their two kids moved to Liberia, where they served caring for people and their medical needs. Well, their lives were changed forever in 2014. In Kent's words, in March, we got word that Ebola was in Guinea and had spread to Liberia. We began preparing for the worst. We didn't receive our first Ebola patient until June. But when she arrived, we were ready. Now, just in case you, you forget or are not familiar with Ebola, it was no laughing matter. It was not nearly as contagious as the coronavirus. It couldn't be spread by respiratory droplets. And when you got it, you knew it right away. It was very serious. It was harder to get, but if you did contract it, the mortality rate was 50%. And in the beginning, when there weren't good treatments, it was 60 to 90 percent mortality rate. Six to nine people in 10 would die. That's what Kent was facing. Uh, Using his own words again, he said, after taking my wife and our children to the airport to return to the States on June 20th, I poured myself into my work even more than before, transferring patients to our new, bigger isolation unit training and orienting new staff and working with our human resource officers to fill our staffing needs. Three days later, on Wednesday, July 23rd, I woke up feeling under the weather, and then my life took an unexpected turn as I was diagnosed with Ebola virus disease. He says, describing the process, as I lay in my bed in Liberia for the following nine days, getting sicker and weaker each day, I prayed that God would help me to be faithful even in my illness. And I prayed that in my life or in my death, he would be glorified. He went on to say, I did not know then, but I have learned since that there were thousands, even millions of people praying for me. I cannot tell you enough. I cannot thank you enough for your prayers and support. But what I can tell you is that I serve a faithful God who answers prayers. And the Brantley family has since returned to Africa last year to go back to serving there. Their story is one of incredible sacrifice. It's an example of what happens, what can happen when you follow Christ. And what we are learning today and what we'll see in just a minute is from God's word 3,000 years ago how to live in the middle of a crisis. Last week, we saw that God can use a crisis to grab your attention. But now it says it's more than just an attention grabber. It's a call to action. The point of the sermon today is sacrifice to serve. 
the good news of Jesus' sacrifice should move us to service. Perhaps not as fantastic or on the front lines as Dr. Brantley, but faithful service that is beautiful because it costs. And what we're going to do now is read this passage again from 1 Kings 18, the first 15 verses. And I want you to pay attention this time to the character of Obadiah and his story and see how God uses him for faithful service. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. This is God's word. And here you see the second character in this story, which gives us a window into faithful, sacrificial service. Now, Obadiah is the exact opposite of his boss, King Ahab. Ahab is the picture of a perfect, self-serving sovereign, a selfish king. Remember, he's the one who who brought the drought on Israel by, by following the false god Baal, Um, With some encouragement from his Phoenician wife, Jezebel, he went after Baal because he was supposed to bring the rain. And so the true God said, to show you that Baal is false, I'm going to take away the rain, a drought for three years. And so Ahab, he's caused this drought, but instead of listening to God, instead of humbling and returning himself to God, he blames the messenger of the bad news, the prophet Elijah. And instead of caring for his starving subjects, he looks for ways to keep his own livestock alive. And at the same time, his queen Jezebel is carrying out holy war on the remaining prophets who are faithful to the Lord. 
So into this situation walks Obadiah, who uses his position and resources to care for God's people at the risk of his own life. Well, who was Obadiah? His name says it all. Literally, his name, Obed, servant, Yah, Yahweh, of the Lord. He's a servant of the Lord, and he lives up to his name. Now, he was a competent man. He was in charge of Ahab's whole estate. He was his steward in charge of running the day-to-day operations of all that Ahab owned. And yet, somehow, on the sly, he had managed to shelter and protect a hundred prophets right under the nose of Jezebel. And he managed to provide them starvation rations, survival rations. And he did this at considerable sacrifice to himself. What was the sacrifice? Well, first, the cost of resources. It doesn't say in the text where we get the resources, where he got them. Was he wealthy enough on his own right to pay for these rations for three years? Or did he divert a little extra government resources to help out? We don't know. But regardless, Obadiah is emphatic that I have done this. The story mentions it twice. It's significant. And he's also responsible, which means that if Jezebel finds out, his life would be in jeopardy. And you can see, although Obadiah was faithful, also his humanity here. When he meets Elijah and Elijah says, go tell your your Lord that I'm here, he flips out. Do you you have a death wish for me? I know how God moves you around and whisks you away. If I tell my king you're here, he'll come. You won't be here. He'll kill me. Now, would his fears really have come to pass? We don't know. Uh, Ahab was clearly no fan of Elijah. There was no love lost there. And it may just be that he would not have been amused by Elijah's here jokes that didn't come true. Maybe something like shouting fire in a theater or bomb in an airport. Not funny off with his head. Whatever the case, you do get an insight into a faithful and humble person at great risk to himself. He sacrifices for God's people, but he feels the strain and he lives in real fear for his life. And Obadiah shows you that it is possible to be faithful to sacrifice and serve in a crisis. And in fact, you can see here that there are two ways that God may call you to sacrifice when you serve. Could be one or both. Either personal opposition or personal loss or both. Let's just, let's just talk about both of them. Uh, first, sometimes you may experience opposition in times of persecution. We won't say much here because that's not what we're, we're experiencing right now. But you can be doing something for the right reason and experience extreme opposition. You think about Christian communities who risked the concentration camps of Nazi Germany to hide whole Jewish families. That's, that's extreme opposition. We support Dr. Rich Gardner, Firm Foundations in Christ Ministries, where he trains and, and encourages and sends out Christian evangelists in Africa, raises them up and sends them out to their villages. And these brothers and sisters can be beaten, imprisoned. They can be killed by radicals who do not want to hear the gospel. That's real opposition. And although it's not our main focus today, I will just say to you, if God has put you in a place where you can use your position of influence to take a stand for truth, 
or to care for the needy, and there's opposition, do it. Be willing to use the position that God's given you. You know, you don't have to do it in a, in a, a kind of demonstrative, a kind of um, a picket line sort of way. You can do it in a simple, humble, quiet way, but, but use what God has given you. The other way that Obadiah shows that it may cost to serve, the sacrifice, is through personal loss. You may have to give up something to care for other people. Service, by definition, always requires sacrifice, but your sacrifice is especially powerful in a time of crisis where precious commodities are in short supply. But you know, Christians have a rich heritage of helping those who are in need in just those times. In fact, it is partly why Christianity has had such a profound impact on the Western world. Did you know that one of the reasons that the Roman Empire adopted Christianity as its official religion was because when the plagues came, the Christians stayed? Author Moses Yee describes it this way. In A.D. 249 to 262, so just... Over 200 years after Christ, Western civilization was devastated by one of the deadliest pandemics in its history. Though the exact cause of the plague is uncertain, the city of Rome was said to have lost an estimated 5,000 people a day at the height of the outbreak. Now, Christians and non-Christians alike died in record numbers from this plague. But the way that they responded was very different. Listen to how one of the leaders, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, a different place than Rome, but a major city, described the way Christians lived during this pandemic. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. You see, Christians won over Rome not by the point of the sword, but by staying back with the sick and dying for them. Now, later, as Christianity became a state religion, it was often abused and used to justify wars and conquests. But I want you to see, that is not how the Christian faith started. And Christians, your birthright, your calling is to walk in the footsteps of these early brothers and sisters who were willing to risk their health and even their life to care for people who thought they were crazy and unpatriotic and sometimes had them killed. Right? Christians were not popular in the Roman culture. Well, so what can that look like for us today? If you're like me, you might find it challenging that we have to be keeping our distance from people just to be good neighbors. That's just the way this disease is. How can you help other people if you must shelter in place? We've got to be realistic. Sacrifice looks different for different people. There are people who are on the front lines, and they will have a greater risk. Our, our health officials, our public services, 
the military, as, as I've prayed for these people, there are limited opportunities for some Christians to volunteer. If you are, if you are a Christian and a retired health professional, there's calls going out. We might need more people. That might be a difficult conversation that you have with friends. They might need to pray, Lord, I'm, I'm a little on the older side. But there's people that need help. Are you calling me to do that? I can't answer that for you. But you do see here in our faith a clear tradition of doing that. It is certainly okay to do that. In fact, it honors God when Christians do that in the right circumstances. Well, for the rest of us, what do we do? We're, we need to be faithful where God's put us. I heard a, an example recently of a church. I'm assuming it was a more urban area. And they had scheduled uh, some missions trips. And they were planning to go out during this time. Well, they were able to get their plane tickets refunded. But instead of just pocketing the cash and saving for a rainy day, there was a need in their area for people to have food. And so they took the monies from the airline and they bought food and they just put it in a trailer in front of their church and said, come out, take what you need. In a rural area, that, that wouldn't work for us. But I find that encouraging, just seeing how other Christians are, are being creative to care for people. Well, what might it look for us? Sometimes it really is just the simple things of being that good neighbor. As we check up on family and friends. As we send the cards. As we care for those at churches. We, we do that video chat. I praise God that I see that happening in Faith Church. It's, it's so encouraging to see that. You know, we can also look outside of our boundaries. In some areas where it's taxed, I have heard that Meals on Wheels needs volunteers. I don't know if that's the truth for Salem County, but you could call them. Perhaps you could give blood. I will say that I found it a little frustrating as I was finishing my sermon this morning. I thought, oh, I'll see if I can give blood and, and sign up. American Red Cross sign was so overwhelmed that I, I couldn't sign up. I was There was a slot two weeks from now, and the website wouldn't let me go through. So that's encouraging. But those are ways that we, we might be able to help. I think for many of us at Faith Church, where we are, the types of jobs that many of us have, the fact that we are rural and distance, it may be to give. Now, I know that some of you are unemployed right now or underemployed. Certainly what you should be doing is caring for your family. And in fact, we have deacons. If you have financial needs, let the deacons know. That's what the church is for. But I know some of you, maybe many of you, have jobs that have not been affected by the crisis and are generally middle class, upper middle class, well-paying jobs. You actually have financial resources that you can be giving, perhaps to ministries that are hit hard because uh, people aren't able to hold fundraisers because resources have to go elsewhere. So, for instance, we were planning to do a firm foundation in Christ fundraiser here at Faith Church on May 2nd. Well, that will now be a virtual friend raiser where you go online. Probably would not normally have the same impact. But if you decide, how can I help? How can I serve? How can I sacrifice? The Lord has given me resources to give. You could give to those missions that you say, these need help right now. It could be from your personal savings. You know, also, a lot of us, if not all of us, are going to be getting checks from the government. 
Now, some of you, what you need to do with those checks, if you don't have a job, is to use them for your bills. But, but what if, financially speaking, life is quite normal for you? Yes, your stocks have taken a hit. Yes, your retirement's a little shaky. But, but you have no problems making ends meet. And now the Lord lays some extra funds into your lap. Well, what, what can you do with that? What should you do with that? Well, it's nothing that says you must do something. But this is extra funds. Wouldn't it be fun if you gave at least some of that away? Uh, I was just thinking about this, what, what we might do with some of ours. And I just I, I, I thought of several needs that I would like to give to. And, you know, you don't have to be like Ananias and Sapphira saying you gave the whole thing away and you keep a little bit back. It's, what you want to do with is that is fine. But this could be the Lord's way of helping us bless other people, giving to the deacon's fund, giving to individual Christians you know are in need, or just people who are in need. And I will say I was encouraged talking to a brother for a different reason who had voiced the same thoughts independently of me. What am I going to do with this, this extra chunk of change that I am receiving from the government? Whatever it is, I encourage you that it is okay to be faithful in a small things. And we can't all be like Elijah, the prophet who stands in front the next chapter of 450 prophets and shows them down and proves that God is real. We can't all be like Dr. Kent Brantley on the front line fighting Ebola. But we can be like Obadiah. Faithful, maybe a little fearful, but still willing to serve. So be willing to sacrifice no matter what it is, wherever God has put you. Now, up to this point, I don't think I've said anything really controversial. In fact, I think most people in our nation, whether a Christians or not, would say amen to the sentiment here. And, and yeah, yeah, we have those people who are the toilet paper hoarders. Um, but we really have seen people caring for each other in ways that are wonderful that are beautiful and good, and I praise God for that. So just let me play the devil's advocate for a moment here and ask you, why? Why is it good and beautiful when neighbors help each other, when doctors and nurses put in overtime and, and put their lives on the line to care for sick patients? Can you answer that question? I mean, can you really answer that question? You could say, well, you know, because we should. I mean, it, it's the right thing to do. It, it just feels right. Well, if that's where you are, I, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're caring and sacrificing for people. That's, that is wonderful. But those aren't very satisfactory answers. In fact, there were whole periods of human history where people did not sacrifice for those who were around them. In fact, during the plagues that, that I had read about earlier, the Roman Empire, most people who were in the cities fled and left people to die in an effort to save their own lives. Uh, Bishop Dionysius, again, talked about Romans fleeing the scene of the pandemic. He said, they pushed away those with the first signs of the disease and fled from their dearest. They even threw them half dead into the roads and treated unburied corpses like refuse in hopes of avoiding the plague of death, which for all their efforts 
was difficult to escape. You see, there was a different ethic back then. I want to live, so I'm getting out of here. And as this went on for years and years, this was very bad press for Roman paganism, who was the dominant religion, far outnumbered Christianity. And in fact, one of the emperors told the pagan priests, get better at showing mercy. You need to step up your game. But you see, they had no ultimate motivation for why to do it. And so for most of the part, they didn't. And when it's really, really bad, when it's Ebola bad, when your best treatment options say that if 10 people are infected, only five people come out alive, you need a stronger reason than it just feels right. Why? Why is this good? Well, here's another answer, and maybe you've thought of this. Maybe you're not even a Christian and you could come up with this. Why do we do this? Because every person has dignity and value and is worthy of care and love. Right? That's a good answer, isn't it? That's a beautiful answer. I think a lot of people would agree with that answer. Well, here's another question. Where did we get such an answer that everyone has dignity and value and is worthy of care and love? Where did we get it? From the early Christians who experienced Jesus and lived out his heritage, his teachings. It did not come from the pagan Roman thinking of the time. And I say respectfully, it does not think fit with much of the current secular thinking of this time, of our time. Walk down this road with me. If it is true that we teach, we teach that the earth is, the world is an accident, um, there is no God, we're all, this matter is all there is, and if all that's true, that there is no God, that life is just life, it just happened. If there is no purpose beyond what you give it, if when you die, that's it. And by the way, we happen to evolve from animals that fight and kill each other to get ahead. How can you honestly, intellectually go from that and say, okay, that's where we came from. And now we're here. Every person has dignity and value and is worthy of care and love. Now, you can choose to believe that people have dignity and value, and I'm so glad that you do. That's wonderful. But it's really just your subjective feelings. You know, if you could go back to the Romans who were fleeing the cities and say, hey, they need your help back there, and they deserve it. Well, how could they respond if, if you believe in just human secular evolution? They could respond, why? According to you, we're all going to die one day. And there's no one to hold us accountable. I want to live. And by the way, who are you to foist your culturally conditioned morals on me anyway? Now, please hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that non-Christians don't have a code of morals, don't do good and beautiful things or the like. It, it, this is not a con contest about who does more good, whether it's the Christians or other people. It's, I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in morality or do moral things. No. My question is that if the universe is essentially valueless, valueless, and if the law of evolution is survival of the fittest, why is it that other people have value and are worthy of your sacrifice 
in the first place. There are many people who would be professed atheists who live beautiful lives of service. And there is nothing sad about that in itself. The sad thing about that life is that it cannot say why it is beautiful. And it's really quite inconsistent. And when sacrifice gets really costly, for most people, practically speaking, you need a reason. So what can give you that power to serve? The Christian faith shows you how you can live a true sacrifice. Let's go back to Obadiah. How is it that this servant of the Lord is able to provide and protect a hundred prophets for three years with his life on the line? Well, the passage mentions it twice. Once in verse 3 and then again in verse 12. He feared the Lord. Obadiah feared the Lord. It's an unusual term today. It's something that is a missing part of our vocabulary when we express our relationship to God. But the fear of God, the Bible says, is at the heart of knowing and loving God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so what does this mean? It's, it's not a shaking in your boots, petrified terror kind of fear. But rather, it's understanding God's greatness and his power. It's an attitude of awe, of respect, and loyalty that leads to actions of obedience. Obadiah, named servant of the Lord, he said, I feared God, and here is how you know. I did these things. I sacrificed to serve these prophets. Well, how does fear work with love? Because because we are all very concerned about love today, right? God, God loves you, and he's there to care for you and to guide you and maybe be your guru and to help you when things get a little hard. Believe it or not, this fear is the foundation for a true love of God. You can only love God truly if you know something true about him. And when you realize that God is God, and, and you are not, and he is not there just to make your life a little easier, but the world revolves around him, then you can really love him and appreciate him and stand in wonder in all of his glory and his goodness and, and realize, wow, this God who is perfect and pure and made everything and is everywhere and knows everything and was and is and always will be, this God reached out to me and said, I want you to be part of my family. Obadiah had a choice. Obadiah, you're a steward to your king. Your name means servant of Yahweh. Who are you going to serve? Will you serve King Ahab and what seems like the rest of Israel who is running away from God, who is killing his prophets? And if you don't, Ahab and Jezebel will have your life if they find out. Or do you stay faithful to your God? I would think Obadiah's reasoning went something like this. I serve the God who created the world, who promised to be the God of my father Abraham and his children, the God who brought my people up out of slavery, who freed them from the superpower of Egypt. I'm serving him. I'm serving him. Do you see how Obadiah's fear of God allowed him to serve in even the hardest of circumstances, even through his fear of what might happen to him? This goes to show you that you always 
have to fear and serve someone or something. You can never be a king to yourself. You're always serving someone else. And you could ask here, who was truly free? Ahab, the king with all the power, or Obadiah? Ahab had all the earthly power and all of the possessions, and yet he was so consumed by them, he couldn't see to help his people or turn back to the Lord. But Obadiah was free to serve at a great cost to himself, and he was even willing to give up his life. He was free to sacrifice his life, if necessary, because he feared God. Obadiah lived before the time of Jesus Christ, and now we have an even fuller understanding of who God is. I was been listening to Christian evangelists who kind of speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in very contemporary ways. They have gifts of just putting it in ways that speak to our moments. And one of them said, in the time of our shelter-in-place and social distancing, the incarnation becomes even more and more incredible. Jesus came down in the time of quarantine and contamination, and he did not stay away from our world of hurt and sickness. But he came to rescue us at the cost of his own life. That's the gospel. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus talks about ransom, he's, he's talking about him dying on the cross and, and, and being the perfect substitute in our behalf. We, talk, we, call, about, we call this substitutionary atonement. Where, where a righteous person or a whole person dies in the place of an unrighteous one. And gives them a new life. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. You name him as Lord and you put your trust in him. That's an unpopular truth today. That's the truth we talked about last week. That you and I deep down are like King Ahab. And even when we do good, it's because we want to be our own God. And we're not right with God and we need this Savior. This truth of substitutionary atonement is hard but beautiful. But, you know, it's not only wonderful because, like Obadiah, you can be brought into God's family and know him. This sacrifice from King Jesus is also what gives you the power to serve. Christians, Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. The great creator, God, has come down. He's made you his. He's given you eternal life that starts now and goes forever. He promises to hold the keys over death and hell. And that means you are free to give and sacrifice, even if it was to kill you. That is what Christians have always done throughout the ages. That is why the early Christians stayed back in the cities when everyone else was running away. That is why they could joyfully accept the sickness from others dying in their place, not as a substitutionary atonement, but certainly looking back to Jesus as a servant. And we can give too. When we as Christians sacrifice or even giving up our lives, we are imitating, we are following our Lord. Young people, those of you who might have grown up in faith church or maybe you don't normally go to church and you grew up in the church in the past, but you, you just it says so many things that are at odds and intention are, and are thought to be intolerant and hurtful and even hateful with today's culture. And you just say, I, and there's Christians that, that are hypocritical and you say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. 
I want you to see that this cross and what Jesus did, this person, are not just beautiful stories for kids in Sunday school. It's a great place to start. Those truths as you learn them and they're taught. But as you grow up into adulthood, you realize that these are life-changing realities worth living and dying for. Dr. Kent Brantley, again, as reflecting on how God had saved him, he came through and, and made it through the, the virus, the Ebola. He said, my faith is not what saved me. My faith is what tells me that even though I can't understand, God is good. He is love and will make all things right in the end. And even if I had died, I think my wife Amber would be sitting here in front of you telling you that it was the right thing for us to do. A man who was free to sacrifice his life because his Lord had done the same for him. And so Christians today, God calls us to sacrifice so that we can serve. The Apostle John, who saw Jesus in his life, he saw him, him die and he saw him ascend to heaven, simply said, we love because he first loved us. And so I ask you, where is the Savior calling you today to step out in a way that you sacrifice to, so that you can serve? What is God asking you to do? Maybe it's one of the things that, the little things that I mentioned in my, my service may, sermon. Maybe it's something that you're already continuing to do. Or maybe the Lord has brought something else on your mind that you need to consider. But I want you to jump on to watch, latch onto one thing. And say, Lord, I'm going to do this for you this week. Identify one action. Then go out and follow your Savior and your King who gave his life for you. Please pray with me. Father, would you in this time of need give us a deeper and more profound wonder at what Jesus did on the cross? We pray too that this would extend into action, that the truth would move down in our hearts and compel us to love like Christ did, no matter what the cost. We ask that we would be instruments that you would use for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.